0: And Welcome to Something Interesting. I'm Albert Berg. Last time on Something Interesting, we talked about a topic with a launching board of an ancient Greek classic text, and I wanted to continue the tradition of really digging in, into essential literature for ideas here. Uh, That may not be something we do in every episode, but at least for this episode, we're going to be going to a work of literature that I think is just fundamental, just absolutely essential reading, maybe even more so than the Greek texts uh, that talk about, you know, classical theory and philosophy. I am, of course, referring to the Frog and Toad books. By Arnold Lobel. Now, if you're not familiar with Frog and Toad, uh, you should not be ashamed of that, because I was not familiar with Frog and Toad until relatively recently. Uh, These are, as you may have deduced from the name, children's books. However, as a child, I was not exposed to Frog and Toad. I came to Frog and Toad very late in life, When I had children of my own, and we were given storybooks of various kinds to read to them, and 90% of the kids' books you get are just absolute garbage. I don't even mean, like, Dr. Seuss, there's probably not really much of a moral in them kind of garbage. I mean, like, just forgettable, boring nonsense. And I am here to tell you that Frog and Toad are on the absolute opposite end of that spectrum. They are a joy to read. I think because fundamentally, especially Toad, is very flawed in very relatable ways. Not flawed like a tragic character of literature, but flawed in the sense that he is not beyond... Compare. He is dealing with some of the same pitfalls that everyone deals with in everyday life, and yet his approach to fixing these things with his friend Toad is very helpful and relatable, and I think ultimately useful. And it starts with his friendship with Frog, this this other character in these stories. These two main guys that play off of each other. And I think that their friendship is really the basis for how they're able to get through the difficulties of their lives and the failings that they have. And that's, you might argue that that's giving it more depth than it needs for, Hey, it's just a kid's book kind of thing. But I really do resonate with these stories on a fairly deep level. And so today we're going to talk about, a and story from the book Frog and Toad Together, and this story is called Cookies. Now, I will summarize the beginning of this story. At the beginning of the story, Toad bakes some cookies and brings them to Frog's house. And the cookies are amazing. The cookies are the best cookies they've ever eaten, and they start eating, and they realize that they are stuck eating these cookies because they are just so good. And we will pick up the reading at that point in the story. "'We must stop eating!' cried Toad as he ate another. "'Yes,' said Frog, reaching for a cookie. "'We need willpower.' "'What is willpower?' asked Toad. "'Willpower is trying hard not to do something that you really want to do,' said Frog. "'You mean like trying not to eat all of these cookies?' asked Toad. "'Right!' said Frog. Frog put the cookies in a box. "'There,' he said. "'Now we will not eat any more cookies.' "'But we can open the box,' said Toad. "'That is true,' said Frog. "'Frog tied some string around the box. "'There,' he said. "'Now we will not eat any more cookies.' "'But we can cut the string and open the box,' said Toad. "'That is true,' said Frog. "'Frog got a ladder. "'He put the box up on a high shelf. "'There,' said Frog. "'Now we will not eat any more cookies.' But we can climb the ladder and take the box down from the shelf and cut the string and open the box, said Toad. That is true, said Frog. Frog climbed the ladder and took the box down from the shelf. He cut the string and opened the box. Frog took the box outside. He shouted in a loud voice, Hey, birds, here are cookies! Birds came from everywhere. They picked up all the cookies in their beaks and flew away. Now, we have no more cookies to eat, said Toad sadly. Not even one. Yes, said Frog, but we have lots and lots of willpower. You may keep it all, Frog, said Toad. I am going home now to bake a cake. Now, like I said, this is a children's story. It might seem relatively simplistic, and yet I think it is an excellent jumping-off point for thinking about the topic of willpower because it really ties into what we understand about willpower today in psychology. There is this idea that if you want to stop yourself from doing something that you can sort of flex this internal mental muscle and just push yourself away from it psychologically let's say and the eating one is a really good analogy because it's not necessarily shameful to eat a cookie or have a pizza or whatever but we've all been at that place where we're eating more and yet there's a part of our brain that's saying well I wish we weren't I wish we could stop even as we're shoving more cookies or chips or pizza into our mouths and you could in those instances use willpower as we understand it and say no I will not eat another chip but the frog and toad story actually gets to the problem with that approach it works to an extent yes But it requires you to over and over and over have that part of your brain that says, no, we will not eat the cookie, always be stronger. And so, Frog and Toad have to come up with a coping mechanism. And Frog's coping mechanisms are gradually more complex. He starts off with the box... Toad says, well, I can just open the box. He adds the string. Toad says, yes, but we can cut the string. And it goes all the way up till eventually they remove the cookies from their sphere of influence entirely. They make it so it's impossible for them to have a cookie. And then Frog says, look at all the willpower we have (laughs) because now we couldn't possibly eat any cookies. And it's, in one sense... Played for laughs it's a very silly thing to say because now there aren't any more cookies there's no point in talking about willpower but it's actually very profound and if you're familiar with a test called the marshmallow test scientists have actually found that this Phenomenon of removing the temptation as opposed to exerting pure willpower is a legitimate and even the best strategy that you can have to get yourself out from under temptation. And I, as I was doing research uh, for wanting to talk about this topic, I learned that there actually is a psychological... Definition of temptation, which in my mind has always sort of been a moralistic, ethical kind of idea, but psychologically they just describe it as something that on some level you're opposed to doing, and yet you are attracted on another level to breaking your self-imposed taboo, whatever it might be, right? you don't necessarily have to get into specific systems of ethics to understand and agree that probably everybody has some kind of a standard for themselves. And also if that standard is anything right beyond, I can do whatever I want to, then there's probably going to be a temptation an urge to break through that standard. In fact, it wouldn't make sense to have a standard if there was not some urge to break it and go and do the thing you don't want to do. And there's, I alluded earlier to the marshmallow test. The test that scientists did, I think the fir- for, the first time in the mid sixties was they put kids in a room with a marshmallow. And they said to the kids Hey guys, I'm going to leave you here with this marshmallow on a plate. And we are going to leave the room. Nobody's going to be here. You're going to be here alone with a marshmallow for 10 minutes. And we're going to come back in 10 minutes and see what you did. And you can eat the marshmallow if you want to. But if you don't eat the marshmallow, we'll give you a second marshmallow when we come back. Now, there were obviously a range of responses to this. Uh, (laughs) Most amusingly to me, uh, there is a TED Talk that describes this uh, experiment in which the person giving the talk mentions that one child tried to hollow out the marshmallow and eat the inside part, but make it look like she had not eaten any so she could still get another marshmallow when the researchers came back, it didn't work out because all the kids were unbeknownst to them on some kind of camera uh, that was recording all of their activity. But the, the basic question was, will these children eat the marshmallow or not? And the, the specific results of the test were then extrapolated out as they followed these children through their lives in the future. So at the beginning, it was just, okay, here's a marshmallow. Can you resist eating the marshmallow or not? But they followed these kids after this and tried to find out what happened to the kids that did not eat the marshmallow versus the kids that did eat the marshmallow. Was there some quality of character or some inbuilt psychology in those kids that would affect them through their life. That was the experiment they were trying to do. And what they found was the children who chose not to eat the marshmallow and were able to delay gratification for the second marshmallow did better later in life. And that's not that surprising. If, if, If someone were to ask you, okay, predict which group of kids are going to do better, just on the whole, if they are able to delay gratification, you hopefully would have the good sense to say, well, yeah, it's the people who delay gratification. Obviously, there are many things that are good about not getting everything you want right now, uh, for starters you might not be as likely to get fat because you'll be able to say, okay, I'm going to put off the literal marshmallow now for the future marshmallow of not being, you know, fat for swimsuit season or whatever. Uh, or just being, you know, less healthy. Uh, so there's the literal food interpretation. There's, you know, can you put save money? Can you uh, make a choice to... You know, stay in college, even though it's boring so that you can have a better job. All of these things are essentially giving up a marshmallow now to have two marshmallows later. And the better you are at that, the better you probably are at life. However, there are a couple of confounding factors to this test that you might not necessarily expect when you first start out. The first one is not the main one I want to talk about, but I do think it's interesting. The kids that were worse at delaying gratification were children generally that came from homes that were, and situations even, that were less stable in some sense, that they were not as uh, fully provided for in some way. So the reaction to delaying gratification, the idea that um, I, I'm going to not have something now in exchange for something later, it could actually be seen as a rational choice in some sense, because even though it's just a marshmallow in the experiment, right? That's not a big deal as an overarching idea of, In your psychology, if you are stressed by the idea that the future is uncertain, if you have the idea that there is some scarcity in your life that you need to fill quickly, it may actually be a better choice under some circumstances to take the marshmallow now. And... Some people would argue that all that the marshmallow test really did was prove that it's better to be rich than to be poor, right? Because you start off life as a kid who has enough and you're able to maybe resist that challenge a little bit easier because you're not under the same kinds of stresses. That's finding number one. But finding number two is the one I want to focus on today And it is the idea that the children who were successful in delaying gratification were the ones who developed and used strategies to distract them from thinking about the marshmallow. They tried to find a way to remove the marshmallow, not from their presence, right? Because they're just sitting there with the marshmallow in front of them. So they can't do much about that, but mentally they did things like dancing around or talking to themselves or playing little games or closing their eyes. So they weren't looking at the marshmallow. They were using various psychological tactics to remove the temptation rather than just look at the marshmallow, fold their arms and say, well, I'm not eating that because I want another marshmallow. They actually, in some measure, removed the marshmallow from the field of temptation as much as they were able to. And this is where we come back to Frog and Toad, because the idea of willpower as something that you can just exert to make your life better is, let's say, incomplete. Because I don't think it's completely wrong. If you said, well, you don't have any willpower, you don't. You can't make a decision to change your life, that's clearly incorrect. If people make decisions, and, and those decisions matter. If you decide to go to the gym, then that is going to work in your benefit, assuming that you're able to put the right strategies in place to continue going to the gym. But that willpower on its own is not fully sufficient to make the kinds of changes that people want to make in their lives. And the reason is, at least under some theories of willpower, that you don't have an unlimited supply of it. It's it's sort of like a battery that you're using up. So, What should you not do? You should definitely not, if your object is to stop eating donuts, sit in front of a box of donuts. You should not buy donuts and bring them home and lay them on your kitchen counter that you're going to walk past 30 times in an evening and then say to yourself, but my willpower will protect me from eating these donuts you have to be strategic about how and where you use the willpower and the best way to use the willpower is to remove the frequency of temptation as much as possible. Uh, If you choose when you are at the store, not to buy the donuts, then when you get home, the donuts are not there to resist. And this is something that I personally have a little bit of experience with. I, like many people, would like to be in slightly better shape than I am. Slightly thinner shape, let's say. I, I, I don't feel like I'm doing too bad, but, you know, it's easy to let yourself go. And one of the tactics that I have employed is I ask my wife not to buy potato chips for us to have at the house. Not I'm not strong enough to say never, ever, ever. We're never going to have potato chips, right? So I don't want you to think that uh, I'm some towering beacon of, you know, healthiness. And I'm just going around eating raw kale all the time. There's plenty of stuff that I probably shouldn't have in the house. But this one thing I said to myself, this is so difficult for me personally to resist It'd be better just not to have it. And I think arguably for the rest of the household for not not to have it. My kids probably don't need to be eating chips. They're not exactly thin either. Um, So rather than have them there and have them staring us in the face every day saying, eat me, I'm salty and crunchy. And oh, my goodness, how great is crunchy food? There's not enough There's not enough good crunchy vegetables. Carrots are kind of crunchy, but then they're like sweet and stuff. So you don't really get that great salty crunchiness stuff you get with potato chips. But I don't have that. I, I will literally go into the cabinet sometimes looking for potato chips, wishing there were potato chips. And they're not there. And my willpower doesn't have to play a single part of it. Because I have at least mostly been able to remove the temptation from my life and that's why this frog and toad story i think is so great because it really drills down into that in the the very fun silly absurd way that frog and toad has of sort of unmasking our frailty and yet showing our strength at the same time the the very odd dichotomy of humanity we, we sit here th- wishing we were doing things that we're not doing and wishing we weren't doing things that we were doing. And, you know, there is a tragic element of that. But in these stories, it's, it's made comic. And I think it is able to get into your head in a way that might not be accessible from something that was more preachy or more obviously moralistic. Uh, Which is why I love reading these to my kids, because when I read them, I think I'm imparting something to my kids here, and I'm learning something, and I really do enjoy it. So, bottom line, willpower, when you use it, make sure you're using it to create an environment where you don't have to continue to use willpower, if at all possible, If you are trying to stop an addiction, the best thing that you can do is to get as far away from the thing that you're addicted to as possible. And you know, the stronger addictions are going to be tougher, right? You, You can still go out and buy potato chips. If you really want potato chips, I could drive down to the store right now and pick me up a bag of Doritos. And when we're talking about things like drugs and other stronger addictions, that obviously becomes a much more complicated endeavor when there is some chemical part of your brain that is just trying to override everything. But the first step that you can take is to make the frequency of those choices go down as much as possible. Be like those kids in the marshmallow test who were... Playing a game with themselves to say, okay, I want the second marshmallow. The first marshmallow is here. What's a way that I can remove this temptation from being at the front of my mind as much as possible? And that really is a game that you can play. You can think about where the temptations that you want to avoid come from and ask yourself... Can I put this in a box without opening the box? Do I need to tie string around it? Do I need to put it up on top of the shelf? Do I just need to throw it completely to the birds and let them take it away so it will not be a problem for me? And then, even after you've done all that, maybe, maybe you're like Toad, and you realize, well, I can still go bake a cake. <laughs> because that's the ending of this story. Which is maybe not the most hopeful thing, but that's humanity, right? That's, that's how we are. That is the the truth of our existence, that we're constantly fighting these battles, that it'll never be done. And you can choose to see it as something depressing and dark, or you can choose to see it as an amusing thing, a battle to be fought, something to be conquered, a game to be won. That's how I choose to see it. That's all I have for you folks today. Thank you so much for listening. If you're not subscribed to this podcast yet, I hope that you will choose to do that now. And I'll see you guys next time with something interesting. Take care.